This is the Business of College Sports podcast with your host, the founder of businessofcollegesports.com, Christy Dosh. Find her on Twitter and Instagram at sportsbizmiss. Welcome to the Business of College Sports podcast. I'm your host, Christy Dosh, the Sports Biz Miss. And today, the day that I released this podcast is day one of student athletes being able to monetize their name, image, and likeness. So you know I couldn't resist having another episode on name, image, and likeness, but this one's a little bit different. This gets into some territory that even I don't know a whole lot about, and that is NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And I've got a great guest here to help me understand this and understand how it applies to college sports, both for athletic departments and for student athletes. Today, I have Justin Herzig. He's the co-founder of Own the Moment NFT. That's a venture-backed content and analytics company that helps people both invest in and collect NFTs. He's been working in blockchain technology for the past seven years and has a background in predictive sports analytics. He's super smart, you guys. <laughs> you are going to learn a lot from this podcast because I know that I did. We recorded this a few weeks ago, so we knew NIL was coming down the pike and I sort of held on to this for today, July 1st, day one of NIL. I think NFTs are going to end up being really big in the college sports space, but I know that a lot of you out there don't know anything about them. For those of you working in and around college athletics, you probably haven't even had the bandwidth to think about how NFTs might come into play here. So I hope this episode gives you a lot of new information and that you learn as much as I did. Without further ado, here is my episode with Justin Herzig. Hi, Justin. Welcome to the Business of College Sports podcast. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about what I think is a really complicated subject, uh, NFTs, and specifically NFTs in the world of sports. Thank you for joining us to talk through this with me. Christy, thank you for having me. Uh, no, I'm excited to join. Uh, this is an area that I'm extremely passionate about, have been uh, building a company around for the past six months, and uh, just something that I think is taking the world by storm. And athletics, college athletics is a perfect opportunity where we're going to see a lot of movement going forward. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, I think it hasn't picked up in this space just yet because everybody's still wrapping their heads around it. And there's so much going on in the college sports space, whether it's the new transfer rules or it's name, image and likeness. There, there's so much new stuff being thrown at college athletic departments that when I chatted with a few of my friends who work in college athletics and started asking them questions about NFTs, you know, they just put a hand up and we're like, stop, stop right now. <laughs> like we know it's coming. <laughs> we're not there yet. Um, but I do think it's coming. And uh, I, I know we'll get into uh, sort of how it might relate to this NIL era that we're starting to move into, but I would love if you would just start with sort of a basic explanation of what an NFT is for those out there who are still struggling to grasp even a big picture idea of what this means. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, if you're struggling, if you've never heard about it, you're not alone. This is extremely new from an actual product side and what we've seen but at the most basic level. So NFTs, non-fungible tokens, they're unique, they're provably scarce digital assets that are on blockchain or distributed ledger technology. Now, in layman terms, what this allows people to do is truly own a digital image, a video, or maybe even a song, and prove that ownership, that digital ownership through the technology. 
Okay, so let's say I work in a college athletic department and we have, let's say, a women's basketball player who has some sort of amazing dunk and we've got this awesome photo of it or maybe we've even got video of it. We probably have both, right? How does that become an NFT that can be sold or, uh, you know, otherwise, I guess, promoted uh, or distributed? Yeah, and there's a variety of methods. And so the most very basic is just a picture. You have that picture, you can turn that into an NFT, which means you mint it onto a blockchain. And then when you mint it, you're going to mint, okay, maybe we want to give one of them and it'll be a one out of one, or maybe it'll be a hundred and you create a hundred different NFTs of that image. And then those can be you know, sold or given away to your community. But that's just an image. There's more opportunities. Let's say you maybe had even the uh, the IP, the legal rights to the video format of it. And then you could maybe make a five second, 10 second clip and that could be it. Or maybe you want to say, you know what? I want to actually this, you know, this female basketball player, her sister is actually an amazing artist. And maybe you want to say, let's find a way to kind of have her sister add some form of unique aspect to this. And so maybe you take the picture and she maybe cartoonizes it or adds some like some boom, some zing to it. And that can be your NFT. It really is fully customizable. And anything that you can see basically on your computer, on your phone as an image, that video, that song, the music aspect, that can become an NFT. I love that idea even of collaborating with, like you said, that if the the player happens to have a sister that's an artist, but even if not, you know, what, what if you're on a campus that has a phenomenal art department and you can find these new ways to coordinate between the athletic department and the art department? Like I hadn't even thought about it in those sort of terms. I was still trying to grasp just what we were going to do with the plain old photo. <laughs> but uh, I love that there's like so much space to be creative with this too. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, when I think of NIL and what's going to be happening, um, the athletic departments and the universities, the challenge is not going to be with the 1% of the athletes who are going to be approached by Nike and the major corporations to do their kind of marketing. That's going to work itself out. The real opportunity is, okay, well, what about the 99% of athletes that maybe don't play in that main you know, large brand sport? Maybe they don't have the name recognition of the brand and they're not going to be able to get, you know, be as marketable. How do we provide them with opportunities to really, you know, ensure that they have those opportunities for, you know, whether it's economic incentive or what? And so I think a great example is Monmouth basketball team. I think it was maybe three years ago. They became famous during the NCAA tournament, not because of their success on the court, but it was actually what their bench was doing. Their bench became famous for these celebrations, these just over the top team celebrations. And I think if we were in that, you know, post NIL with the regulation and these individuals were able to kind of profit off of it, what we could see is maybe as a team, those bench players come together and maybe they work with, you know, uh, a local artist or something or on the campus and turn those celebrations into small clips or small art pieces, uh, something that's representative. And now we're giving opportunities to people who don't have that main, you know, um, household name brand, who aren't the ones who are going to be able to easily, you know, receive their economic opportunity. Um, and I think that, op that that continues to go throughout the entire university. Okay, I have a little NIL seed I'm going to plant for people because I've been thinking about this a lot. And actually, before you and I hit record, we were talking about a mutual friend. We have Darren Heitner, 
who uh, I had on the podcast a few weeks ago. And one of the things I have been sort of emailing with him um, back and forth about, because we're good friends and we've known each other for a long time, is I was asking him what he thought was going to happen as these sort, not just NFT opportunities, but as opportunities related to NIL come up. You know, right now, student athletes essentially uh, sign away all of their rights when they join the athletic department in terms of the athletic department's ability to use their name, image, and likeness. But as these sort of monetary opportunities come up, and like these examples that you've given, I see a time when student athletes are probably going to start um, standing up against this maybe, and they're going to want in on this. If the athletic department happens to, you know, get a great uh, photo or video in the middle of a game or before a game or after a game, you know, in the sort of context of them being a student athlete and the athletic department is going to turn it into an NFT or, or a poster or whatever. And they're going to profit off of that, that student athletes are going to want to be cut in on that sort of money. And so I've been thinking about how this is all going to play out, you know, this could be several years from now that student athletes are going to get their feet wet and figure out what they can and can't monetize. But I foresee a time when this is going to become an issue. And as we talk about what, how these NFTs could take shape and the many different things they could be, there does seem to be this, um, you know, I think there's going to be this sort of interweaving of the athletic department's rights and they're probably wearing uniforms and they've got school logos and school intellectual property in these photos and videos. But also we're talking about the student athletes being the content creators in some respect as well. And so just planting the seed for everybody out there. We won't go down that rabbit hole uh, right now, but I'm just planting that seed that I, that's where I am now looking down the road at how this might all play out. So I'll leave yep. it there. I won't ask you a question about it, but <laughs> I just, that's the way my brain works. I'm trying to think two and three steps ahead to what this is going to look like down the road. But let's go back to the example we had of just a photo, because I think that's the easiest thing to like understand as we're talking about the basics. When you were explaining the photo and you were talking about, uh, you know, you might just have one or you might create a series of say a hundred. I mean, that reminds me a lot of the art world that somebody owns the original painting, but there's probably giclés and lithographs and all sorts of prints that are made in series. And sometimes those are hand signed. Sometimes they are embellished by the artist himself. And so it kind of reminds me of that, except this is all going to be happening digitally, right? There, there are no physical assets when it comes to NFTs, correct? Right. And this is just the evolution of what technology can do. And you use art as an example. When we think back to the very, very early days of art, what was it? It was caves. It was people writing on caves and there could only ever be one of those. And then you get into lithographs and you get into these other forms, maybe even the printing press. Okay. Now we can make physical copies of it. Okay. Now we're able to distribute it to people because you don't have to actually go to the cave to see that art. Then we get to the place of, okay, now we can take photographs of it. But the difference with photographs is you can't truly own the art through that photograph because as we have the ability, you can just control C, control V, copy, paste, right. and we all still see the Mona Lisa on our computer. But the next technology advancement is the blockchain, the distributed ledger technology, which provides that provenance, we call it the tracking of ownership from when it first minted and became on the blockchain all the way through its life cycle and when it was sold to the first person, gifted to someone else, transacted. But at the most basic level, as you said, 
you can take that one piece, we can determine how many of them we mint, and everyone can see how many there are. So unlike in the 1990, 1988, 1990, when the physical sports card market just kind of tanked itself because they printed millions and millions of cards and no one knew how many there were, this, we have the full transparency to know exactly how scarce a digital asset, how scarce that NFT actually is. Okay. I'm still wrapping my head around this. I'm like sitting here furiously scribbing additional questions I want to ask. Okay. When I think about this photo, let's go back to this example. We've got a women's basketball player, great dunk. This is the photo we've got. If I'm the athletic department and I want that to become an NFT, whether that's a you know one-shot deal or maybe it's a series of 100, if I know in the moment this is going to be an incredible thing for us to use as an NFT, does that mean that I should not put it out on our social media feed or use it in maybe an article we're going to produce? I mean, does it limit what the athletic department can do with the photo or video? No, it's up to the athletic department. Some of the most popular NFTs these days have been people actually NFTing um, some of the most popular memes. So let's say there was a girl who took a funny picture and that went crazy on the internet 10 years ago. That's a meme. She's actually been able to sell that meme. And why are people buying it? Because it's very familiar. So just because it was publicly out there doesn't mean it can't still turn into an NFT and you get ownership of it. But I think the athletic departments kind of, they can play the game as they like, because the other aspect is maybe they're going to have a booster auction and they can say, we're selling you never before seen interviews, never before seen pictures, footage. Um, and maybe that adds value. Or the other side is maybe it was a game winning play and it was an amazing catch and we can see that image um, or an amazing hoop, whatever it is. Um, and that you know becomes like, the image of that team for that year. And because more people are familiar with it, the athletic department will have more of an opportunity to probably, you know, sell that to a popular uh, crowd. Okay. Here's another question I just thought of. I'm Joe. I'm the photographer who took the photo. Um, and let's just pretend I, I own the rights to the photo, not the athletic department. Um, or I guess maybe I'm an employee of the athletic department. I guess what I'm trying to figure out, <laughs> I think there's a lot of different ways this could play out. But me, Joe, the photographer, I'm the one who takes the photo and I have the intellectual property rights. If it becomes an NFT, so let's say I do agree, yes, great, this is going to be an NFT and it gets sold to you know a random fan who owns like the legal rights to this photo now? Has Joe now given up all his legal rights because it's exclusively owned by this fan who bought the NFT? Yeah, so what we're seeing is this is still probably going to play out in the courts and we haven't seen a true determination on this. But what we have seen are some artists who are actually saying and building it into the smart contract when they sell the NFT that you have the rights to sell this for profit, to turn it into merchandise, to reproduce it if you want, they're actually building in and saying, I am selling you the rights to this. In general, I think right now, most people are defaulting on, unless that is kind of a built-in, it is still the intellectual property of the artist. Just like if I bought a Picasso, um, I own that Picasso, but if he wants to make reprints of that same one, he, you know, it's his intellectual property. Okay. 
yeah, my my legal brain is going crazy now with all, all sorts of questions about how this could ultimately play out. But we, we won't go down that rabbit hole either. Um, we could do like a four hour podcast with the list of questions I've got here. So I, I won't lead us astray on any of my rabbit holes here. That's um, when we okay. bring Darren on. If I'm the athletic department and I want to start getting involved in this, let's say my athletic department has not created any NFTs yet. What is sort of that first step? Like, how do you start creating NFTs? How do you sell them? What sort of software or platforms do you need? Or what, in the most basic sense, what would this process yeah. sort of look like? Yeah. So first off, I think it's important to note, like, if college athletic programs are not proactive in this space, I think they really risk their athletes to being damaged by, you know, they're damaging their personal reputation, that of the schools. They risk their athletes being taken advantage by predatory individuals. Mm -hmm. They risk having their athletes distracted from their studies and sport due to kind of trying to traverse through NFTs on their own. So I completely agree with you. I think especially with NIL, like universities need to be proactive on this with the athletes. And then there's also obviously there's opportunities outside of the NIL conversation. Um, when we think of a path forward and how, what should college athletic programs really be, should, should they be focused on? I think there's three key elements education, decision-making, and implementation. And I'll kind of frame this in the way of how they'd be helping student-athletes in this space, because I think that's where, uh, as a quick aside, um, the reigning National College Player of the Year for basketball, Luca Garza, upon graduating, sold his own NFT card. He's going to sell more. He's actually building a company around it. And I think the quote is that after his first card sold – he had a bunch of athletes coming to him and reaching out via social media, wanting to do their own NFTs. So there's no question there is the desire among these student athletes. Um, right. And I think with, you know, post NIL, um, that's going to be there. So I think college athletic programs should be focused on those three. So first education, I think it's more than just the basics. It's about understanding how to create the NFTs the right way, because we've seen NFT projects that came across as cash grabs and unfortunately weren't successful. We've also seen some though that were able to succeed because they've been able to truly connect to the fans and build a community. And I think that's really key on making, you know, undersure, making sure that not only is the university, but also the athletes have that level of expectation setting and education. The second around decision-making. So I think the hard truth is that not every athlete is going to have that brand recognition and that following to successfully right. really market themselves or sell NFTs. However, that doesn't mean they have to be left out because there are opportunities with NFTs to kind of create offerings for an entire team, for maybe finding their individual skill sets. We had the college football uh, kicker for UCF, who was a streamer. We have the, um, uh, what is it, gymnast from LSU, who mm -hmm. has one of the largest uh, Instagram and TikTok followings of like 4 million people. Athletes today are more than just what they're putting on the field. And so there's unique ways to kind of continue to connect with your community through the NFTs, maybe as we said, partnering with a local artist, using your kind of skill set, whatever it is. Um, and so I think universities helping the athletes understand that and craft that story, let them really own their own image and brand, I think is huge. And then the third one is implementation. This is where you were asking about like the actual technology. How does this work? Um, it's not, you know, it's not the most difficult thing, but this is also coming from someone who's been in blockchain technology for seven years. I honestly think universities are going to have preferred strategic implementation partners that they've developed trusted relationships with. This will manage substantial risks, and it's going to increase the ease of delivery and likelihood of success for those college athletes, as well as their larger NFTs. Um, 
You can incorporate a level of design, artistry, the implementation, the technology. And then as we said at the end, how do you actually build and manage that community so this isn't just seen as a one-off cash grab? Kind of switching over because we've seen this happen. We've seen professional sports get more involved in this quicker. Um, what have you seen happening at the professional sports level in the U.S. or otherwise that you think college athletic departments could learn from things that have worked or or maybe it's lessons learned, things that did not work? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you start off with the organization wise. When we think of sports collectibles, we think of NFTs. The NBA Top Shot is the first uh, is, is the is the largest market. It's the most popular. They've had over seven hundred million dollars in revenue. Um, I think they have around 500,000 people who have like a collection. What they've really been able to do is tap into an existing fan base of the NBA. You already have sports collectibles. People are familiar with it. And they've made it a very easy onboarding experience. They're not putting the technology at the front. They're putting the product first. So the majority of customers don't have to even know that this blockchain technology is working behind the scenes. Rather, what they see is this really cool experience of watching a highlight of a player they like. And I think that's one thing that universities will want to focus on. Yes, the technology is complex and it needs to be incorporated. And it's what really is you know, enabling these NFTs. But the people who are buying it don't care about the technology. Right. They care about the cool experience. They, cool about, they care about seeing something that you know, is in their collection. I use the um, kind of analogy, like you know, when I grew up as a kid uh, at my, my parents' house, um, we had this one sports room. And whenever I had friends come over, I always wanted to show them that room because it had the autographs on the wall. It had the broken bats in the corner. It was my ability to show off my fandom. And that's where we're getting to in this, you know, today, a digital method of this. And Mark Cuban wrote a great blog post about it. But fandom is about more than just your physical assets. We're moving to this, this digital world. So why should I not be able to show you on my phone, hey, look how much a fan I am of this university I've got this highlight, I've got this dunk, I've got, you know, whatever that component is. And so building that kind of value too. And the last thing I'll mention is utility. Finding a way to bring additional utility to these NFTs is the great divide. It's the huge incentive. It's the real way to connect the community and the fans with the university. Um, and one of those examples is, so let's say that, you know, that woman college basketball player that you talked about, she's got that picture and they're going to make a hundred of them. And maybe you say, hey, we're going to add additional utility. And if you buy one of these NFTs, you'll also get to attend maybe a meet and greet, or maybe you get a ticket to, the, to one of the random games, or maybe right. it's out of those hundred, one person gets to go on the court and take pictures or something. But some real world asset that kind of ties these together, and at the end of the day, is just another way to kind of express and experience my fanhood. Love that. Okay. And this is not something I prepared you for. So I don't, I don't intend for you to have like a bunch of stats and numbers and that kind of stuff. But I'm just curious, what demographic is buying these right now? So as college athletic departments think about this, you know, what does the the average NFT buyer look like? Yeah, so the, I would call them super fans. It's super fans of whatever the topic is. In the art world, it's people who are kind of at the leading edge and the front edge of art. And they're the ones that really want to get involved. In the sports collectible, it's, okay, if I see a Rob Gronkowski selling his NFTs, the people who are buying it are the ones who are very big fans of Rob Gronkowski. Uh, you have Blau. Um, Justin Blau is a, 
um, musician, uh, EDM artist. And so he was selling his music. The people who are buying that are the ones who are mega fans, super fans of that individual. And I think that is a good frame of reference for what universities should expect as well. When is you're it, going, yep, go oh, for sorry. it. I was just say, is it age limited at all? Because I think when you first hear this, if you're not super familiar with it, you think, okay, this is like a young person's thing. Like older people aren't going to buy this. But I, you know, based on what I've read and what I know, I actually don't think that's true in the art world. We have seen, you know, people who you wouldn't think were necessarily uh, the most technologically advanced people who are buying NFTs. So I was kind of curious from an right. age perspective what that looks like so far. Yeah, I would guess it's predominantly an 18 to 45. Okay. Um, but again, it's all about the experience that you're building because obviously you need to have some level of tech savvy that, you know, and you have a desire to buy something that has on a computer. So you got to be able to access email and stuff like that. Right. But beyond that, I mean, Hey, if we were at a kind of a booster dinner and you already have your you know, information of your various attendees and you had some form of an auction and you create that experience, you create that utility value as well. This isn't dependent or locked into any age range. There's no, I need to be able to have this level of, you know, computer tech savvy knowledge or desire to go play some kind of video game. If you can see a picture of your grandchildren, you can own an NFT. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Okay, because I know I'm switching back and forth a little bit, but I, I've just scribbled down a whole bunch of questions, so I'm a little all over the place in this. Another thing I, I wrote down that I wanted to ask is, as we think about student athletes potentially becoming the creators of this content, not just that athletic departments will be creating it with their you know, photographers and videographers and the rest of their staff, but that student athletes, I think, will have the opportunity to create their own NFTs. Can you create, I, I really don't know the answer to this. So if everyone else knows, I'm sorry, I'm asking a dumb question, but can you create an NFT from social media content? Because we all know that's where they're creating content right now. So from social media content, meaning if you created an image and you shared it on social media, we can oh. take that and definitely turn it into an NFT. Yeah, I was thinking uh, that, or I follow a lot of student athletes right now on TikTok, because quite frankly, I'm in my late 30s, about to turn 40, <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out TikTok. So I've been following all these student athletes who already have big followings. And, you know, it's a lot of obviously video content creation there, and they're spending so much time doing that. You know, one of the things that folks have talked about when it comes to NIL is, is sort of questioning when will student athletes have time to create all this content and be active on these platforms, except they're already doing it. Um, so <laughs> they're already spending a lot of time on TikTok and they're creating these videos there. And some of those are, you know, going viral and doing really well. Is there a way to turn that content into an NFT? Yeah. Any video can okay. be turned into an NFT, ideally from a GIF, which is usually just a couple seconds to, a, you know, maybe a clip that's maybe 10 to 15. Uh, those are digital assets and they can be put, I mean, they, those can be turned into digital assets. Um, I will just give a, uh, just in case with TikTok, I'm not sure. I, Fortunately, don't use TikTok, and I'm not sure if I'm like uh, <laughs> where I TikTok <laughs> yeah, where TikTok owns it and stuff. Um, but any of these videos you're using with your phone, uh, those can easily be turned into an NFT. 
Okay. Yeah. You just, you know, they're already out there creating content. And so you want to, I know when I go in and talk to student athletes about monetizing their name, image, and likeness, I want to find ways for them to be efficient with their time instead of creating new work for them. And so that's kind of a selfish question because I know they're out there creating all this content on Instagram and TikTok in particular. Um, and I know when I do it, I'm always trying to figure out how, if I create it on one platform, can I move it and put it on the other platform and will it still do as well because I don't want to shoot two separate videos. I want to shoot one video and put it on TikTok and on Instagram because I don't have time <laughs> to be shooting two separate ones. So, um, yeah. and know, I will say I, yeah. <laughs> I did a quick, I did a quick Google and yes. Um, so that Fleetwood Mac video that went mm -hmm. viral where he's skateboarding. Yes. Um, he sold that as a NFT. Um, I see another one sold for five, that one sold for $500,000. Wow. Um, and as we said before, they made it in their original medium for TikTok. It went kind of viral. I think TikTok even used it in like a TV advertisement. It did, yep. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I probably didn't profit off that. He probably made some when TikTok decided to turn it into a commercial. But overall, the people, you know, it's hard to profit off these kind of social media. This allowed him that opportunity. And right. some huge fan of either Fleetwood Mac or just pop culture bought it and got to kind of own that piece of history. And I'm thinking there must be other people out there that have this question, which is if something like that is on social media and I can essentially go watch it anytime I want, if I thought that was a great clip, it's hysterical, it makes you know my day better when I watch it, I, I can go find that and watch it. And so why would I want to own the NFT of it? Yeah, just like I can go Google the Mona Lisa and I can see that Mona Lisa and I can get the same enjoyment that someone who, uh, you know, would maybe go, what is it, the Louvre right now? Pardon my art. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> but there you go. Um, or, you know, we use the example of like Honus Wagner is the most, uh, I think, expensive, famous um, baseball card back from, I don't know, almost 100 years ago. Um, I could go Google that right now and I can see it and I get that kind of cool experience, but I don't own it. The ownership aspect is what's different. And that allows not only as a speculative asset, but also to show like, no, this is legitimate. I truly own this digital asset. And uh, when we go back to the whole being authentic and fandom and kind of showing off your kind of online, your digital persona, um, that goes a long way. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have to bring on Darren so I can quiz him about, okay, now who has the rights to license it? And you know, legally speaking, <laughs> exactly. like you said, that, that's all still developing. And until there's case law around it, none of us are going to know exactly how that's going to go. I mean, we still see cases coming up over whether or not you can embed someone else's tweet in your blog post to talk about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and obviously that kind of social media content has been around for years and that kind of stuff is still being resolved in court. So I'm sure it'll be quite some time before we have straight answers on yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, and, and I think one creative opportunity there is, so you can use LaMelo Ball as an example. Um, so with NBA Top Shot, any of LaMelo Ball's highlights are available as a Top Shot moment because that's a partnership with Dapper Labs, NBA, and the NBA Players Association. LaMelo Ball also wanted to create his own NFT project for his rookie season. And so what he did is he worked with an artist to create kind of like sculptures of him. Mm -hmm. Now, those sculptures don't have anything about the NBA. You don't have anything about, um, you know, his team. Uh, so he's able to sell those without any intellectual property issues because it's just sculptures of him holding a basketball and doing some cool things like that. And uh, that allows you to, hey, if you want to completely avoid any IP, any issues there, obviously any 
friction between him and his team and the MBA. Um, I think that's a great way that individuals can kind of continue to go about this. Okay, that makes sense. Flipping to sort of the other side of this, if there are people listening who want to start getting involved in actually purchasing and investing in NFTs, can you talk through a little bit about um, what sort of due diligence you need to do or what the benefits and risks are in becoming one of the buyers of these NFTs? Yeah. And uh, so that's actually one of the reasons why we founded our company, Own the Moment NFT, uh, because we understand that while this is a rapidly growing, uh, very exciting and opportunistic market, it's also still very complex and confusing. And uh, our goal is to really provide you with that roadmap for your journey and how you can kind of be, you know, successfully enter the world of NSTs as either a collector, investor or whatever. And uh, it's really, it starts off with discovery. It starts off with how do I even find out about these projects? Because a lot of the time, if you're just waiting on Twitter and it's after the project gets popular, you may have missed out on kind of those early sales and the early opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, Then there's the aspects around education. You know, we mentioned, how do we identify between which of the projects are legitimate and have long-term you know, long, long-term, long-standing viability and which are the ones that are maybe just might be unfortunately a cash grab or they're just not going to, you know, maintain value long-term. Um, and then there's aspects around insights and data and, okay, maybe I didn't get a chance to buy these when they first were released from the athlete or the school or the team, um, but I'm still interested. So mm-hmm. being able to see and track like, okay, what were the prices of those? How's the price movement shifted? Um, I think that's a huge one. And the last one is around community. So much about this space, unlike anything I've ever been in before, there's such a strong community development and engagement in this space. And I think a lot of it is really because, A, you just have such passion and interest around this space. But also, as I mentioned earlier, in order for you to be able to collect um, in a project, you know, collect in something that you believe is going to either appreciate in value or at least hold its value, there needs to be people who are still interested in it in five, 10 years. And the way that that has happened is through community. And so uh, I think we've seen so many people just kind of joining these communities, learning from each other. They almost become like these self-help, um, these self-help havens uh, where people can kind of ask questions, increase their confidence before they're willing to kind of go into that next project and mm-hmm. actually make some purchases. Do you think this changes the market for physical memorabilia or is it two totally different people that would buy physical memorabilia versus an NFT? Yeah, that's a great question. And no matter what you answer here, you're going to make someone happy and piss someone else off. (laughs) Um, I think at least for the short term, we're going to see opportunities with both. And I don't believe one cannibalizes the other. Um, I think for people who are getting into uh, sports collectibles as digital, I've seen a lot of them are like, you know what? I also want to get into this card market that I hadn't previously been into. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think long-term though, if I'm a betting man, without a doubt, I'm going to go for the digital version because what's going to have more longstanding power than kind of where our world is going. But on the other hand, also that then means that these physical assets are going to be maybe more scarce and thus they may retain an increased value long-term too. So I think personally um, there's opportunity for both and uh, you know, just like with the art world, just because we've seen this $69 million sales for digital art and I think digital art is going to continue to prosper, uh, that doesn't mean the 
physical art is just going to disappear. Right. I, I'm somebody who still likes having stuff and being able to <laughs> touch it and feel it. So I, I have not purchased my first NFT yet, but I'm starting to get on board now that we've talked about it more and I'm wrapping my head around it a little more. I, I'm getting there. Um, is there anything you have on your radar that you're kind of watching for or anticipating when it comes to NFTs within the sports industry? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've seen with Dapper Labs and Top Shot and they themselves, they call kind of Top Shot and the NBA, their, their MVP, their minimal viable product. Uh, they already have deals with the UFC. They have deals with Dr. Seuss from an art perspective. Um, and there's speculation that they may join into deals with some of the large, uh, some of the other major uh, sport organizations as well. And, uh, you know, we are just extremely passionate about this and really want to focus on how do we kind of help with a level of education, help with that level of community through content and such. And so as these new projects really start to appear, um, I think it's going to bring in a wealth of new people who are, you know, haven't made that first NFT purchase, but uh, once they do, I have a feeling they'll stick. Thank you so much for joining and teaching us all a little bit about NFTs in the sports space. I'm sure there's so much more that we could go into. So I think maybe I'll need a second episode from you down the road. Let's get this one out there and then I'll get all the questions in that we didn't touch on and maybe we can do another one because I think there's so much here and that college athletic administrators are really going to start paying attention to this as we get into this next school year. I know they're dealing with new transfer rules and figuring out exactly what NIL is going to look like, but I think this is something everybody's got to keep on their radar and start figuring out as we go into this next school year. So would love to have you back again. I will collect some questions from folks and uh, we, we can sort of move up to maybe not even intermediate, but like beginner plus in the next one. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. This is very enjoyable. I loved it and I'm happy to come back at any time. Thank you for joining us. Thank you again to Justin Herzig for joining us here on the Business of College Sports podcast. I don't know about you guys, but my brain is about ready to explode with all of the new things I learned and need to look up and start paying better attention to. I hope you all got a lot out of this. I definitely want to have Justin back again to talk about NFTs and specifically how athletic departments can leverage them, how student athletes are going to start leveraging them. So if you've got questions about NFTs, send those over to me and I'll have Justin on again soon, hopefully. My email address is christy at christydosh.com or you can direct message me over on Twitter at sportsbizmiss. If there's something else you're wanting to know about name, image, and likeness or about anything to do with the business of college sports, I love hearing your suggestions for future episodes and I can go out and get the best guests and tell them, hey, this is something my audience really wants to hear about. So send me your suggestions. I love to hear them. Thank you for listening. If you have time to go rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, that would be super helpful and will help me attract bigger and better guests for the podcast. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for listening. And I will be back again with you next week.